Welcome in to episode 110 of The Bluest Tape. I'm Harvey Couch, and who are you? <laughs> My name is Jeff Kotlath. I am your <laughs> longtime partner on this. We've been doing this three years now, but it feels like uh-huh. the last time we talked was uh, sometime in August. Is that, is that uh-huh. correct? Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, we did we did little a little segments at the beginning of the Sam Holt episodes, ah. but yeah, as far as like a legit full episode, it's been a minute, Jeff. What so, um, what's happened? What's happening in the world? Very little, really. Uh, since August, I went to Connecticut for a month and saw a live concert. So there, there was that. And, Got one up uh, on me there. Yeah, and other than that, we had an election that. Uh, that went so won't, good won't job ever, everybody voting well never seem to end but never um and and then there's another one in georgia in, in a few weeks so if you if you listen to this in georgia then you know what to do in january yeah. or south carolina or alabama you can just go across the border everybody thinks you're doing it anyway so just uh <laughs> just, just just walk across and see just see what happens you know uh-huh. see what happens yeah. Uh, well, it is great to hear from you. Uh, I'm, I'm happy to get back in, in the saddle a little bit. Uh, I hope everything is good with, with you and the family. I'm sure it was a, was it a non-traditional Thanksgiving celebration for you guys? Um, we defied Dr. Fauci, um, oh, straight up, Jeff. straight up double birded him and, uh, went, went to Ohio and uh, basically sequestered with our with my in laws for uh, eight days. The my wife's brother and his children came, and basically the children, sans the baby, were in another planet essentially, and didn't need us except for our food. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, we just sort of uh, hung out and watched like entire football games, watched right. entire movies. Um, uh, my mother-in-law is, and like my mom have, they both have all the snacks. So there was lots of good snacking. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it was nice. The, the worst part was the trying to figure out how to stop and where to stop. And Mm. on the way up, it actually worked out well. We stopped at a Culver's in Bowling Green and, Mm. uh, ate in a parking lot and, uh, and then just made one more quick stop by Kings Island in Ohio, where actually I bought a six pack of Country Boy beer. <laughs> mm. So there you go, which was a plus. Um, yeah. And then on the way home, we stopped at a Culver's outside of Louisville on the uh, two sixty was it two sixty five? The Gene Snyder. Yeah, the Snyder. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, stopped at a rest stop in Tennessee, where we thought, oh, it'll be clean, but. It was, but people also don't have to wear masks in rest stops. Oh gosh, that's that's oh, that's and, terrible. Uh, and so we were my the Presley and I were in the in the men's room, and there was a guy came in with a really long ponytail, and Presley kept like looking at him, <laughs> and then I was just like, just wash your hands, just wash your hands and get out of here. <laughs> And so we got out and he was like shoving him out because I just wanted to get out. And he was like, Dad, yeah. why was there 
why was there a woman in the men's room? And I was like, no, that was just a guy with a ponytail. And he kind of gave me this look. I said, I was more concerned with the fact he wasn't wearing a mask and didn't wash his hands. It's <laughs> <laughs> right. like, oh man, you're double gross. So, mm. so yes, now we're contemplating how to uh, ignore the CDC again and what to do about Christmas. So it's, uh, oh, man. since this That's isn't, yeah. this isn't a you big uh, Christmas types. house. So uh, if we're going to do Christmas, we got to go somewhere else for it to happen. (laughs) Gotcha. Well, we are following Dr. Fauci. So we've not seen, well, we went to Connecticut, but we were, you know, we were quarantined up there and then uh, didn't, didn't see any family for Thanksgiving. Likely won't for Christmas either. So hope you enjoy your your holiday time with your families and screw all the rest of us. Um, (laughs) So are you guys, uh, it sounds like your Culver's families, is that your go-to uh, road, you know, roadside meal? No, I mean, I think it became that way because um, they typically have outdoor seating and mm-hmm. we'd had some good luck in, earlier in the fall when we went to Wisconsin over fall break that we stopped at one in Peru, Illinois, that was like adjacent to like a basically like an, an acre of open grass, which is like mm. the best possible thing when you've been in a car for seven and a half hours. It's yeah. just like, kids, go run. I'm going to go get you French yeah. fries. Um, go catch some ticks. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So obviously we have some Culver's related nostalgia having uh, being from Wisconsin. I worked at the fifth ever Culver's. Uh-huh. In my I think hometown. you shared that before. With I did, the, with yes. The, with, uh, with the early '94 to August of '96, and so uh, so there's a little fond the Sarah Court. It's it's different. I don't I don't feel like the Culver's product is as solid as what it used to be. Um, mm. I'm not saying that as like this guy. I used to cook there, and we made real food, which we did. But, <laughs> um, but I'm saying it more from a quality perspective. I don't feel like the yeah. quality is there. I feel like they've. Uh, um, it's it's as they've gotten bigger um i feel like it's not as it's the the quality can the quality is not as high so um but if it's not that if it's uh it used to be fine breweries on the road because breweries Mm -hmm. are great Mm -hmm. because mom and dad can have a beer and then mm-hmm. the kids can always have French fries or chicken strips or pizza or whatever they need to yeah. get them fueled. And it's like it, there's it's noisy. You know, yes. kids don't make a make a exactly. scene because there's you know, and they're usually in you know interesting parts of town. So there's you know if you've not if you're not in a rush, it's a great place. They're mm-hmm. great places to go. Like the last time, I mean, we stopped at one in Champaign, Urbana one time, and it was in. I mean, I've carried that name brewery, but it was a really nice setup, and it was like this is the baby wasn't that old and it was, you know, like two o'clock in the afternoon we were the only ones there. And it was just like, we're going to sit here and have a beer. And if the baby cries, it doesn't matter because there's nobody <laughs> here. Um, right. So the other option typically is a Panera. Yeah. Which um, is, I, it's fine for me cause I like soup, mm-hmm. um, but it's a little, uh, it's a little expensive for what you actually get um it it is i was gonna say my list and you know thanks again everybody for joining us on uh, road road food talk well this is important Uh, stuff because this these are people that have spent spent you know decades you know on the road on the road eating waffle house and cracker barrel and whatever else 
uh, Bob so, Evans. Don't Bob, forget Bob Evans. Bob man. Evans, yeah, down on country, the uh, country skillet. Um, <laughs> yeah, I would say my list is it has two things on it. One is uh, Panera, and two is uh, every day but Sunday Chick Fil A. And you know, come with me with your political beliefs. I don't care. There's people who know how to make a chicken sandwich, and it's always good. And you know, it's great for the kids when we could go inside and they could play in the thing. And they got soft serve, and the iced tea is always on point, which helps you, th- you know, mm. get through the next stretch. True. And uh, our customer service is and, excellent. Yeah. Yeah. We, so uh, I, uh, that, we, that's our list for for road trip meals. We are under a. Uh, chick-fil-a uh embargo in our house um mm, and have I'm been sorry. <laughs> for sorry forever um but uh <clears throat> that's the family list my personal list is the uh is dairy queen because mm. uh, i'm a big uh i will substitute ice cream for a meal guy mm-hmm. and so um <clears throat> if by myself or presley and i did this when we took a when we did, did a long drive about a year ago. Um, ice cream is a great substitute, so I can get the big, I can get the larger size Blizzard, and then that is a that that's my meal, and right. su- sustain with uh, Coke Zero and pretzels and apples, <laughs> if as needed, and cheese curds when you can find them. See, oh well, cheese curds coming back from Wisconsin certainly, um, right. but right. yeah, Coke Zero is a Coke Zero is a must. Any place that has Coke Zero on tap is. Uh, is is, a, is also a plus. Uh, now, does that count on the uh, on the Coke freestyle machine, or it does, does it need to be the traditional? No, okay, no, it's, it counts. Plus. Definitely okay. counts. Okay. Um, it's it's more prevalent now than what it used to be, um, since most of the pilots and like loves and stuff have Pepsi and Coke on the gun. Um, mm. the, of course, the big uh, de- Culver's demerit is it's a Pepsi. Uh, a Pepsi shop, Pepsi shop, which uh, Panera is mm-hmm. as well, which we can debate. Yeah, but I'm about. always drinking. I'm always drinking the tea and the yeah. and the lemonade stuff. Uh, I don't, I don't understand Pepsi. I just mm-hmm. don't. I mean, I grew up in a Pepsi house. My mom still drinks it. I don't understand it. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's there's, it is just not a quality product. So Pe- Pepsi, Pepsi to me, every time I taste it, I get immediately thrown to uh, memories of sitting in a Pizza Hut drinking pitchers yes. of Pepsi. That was the only time I ever drank Pepsi in my whole life was out of the pitchers in the pl- red plastic cups and pizza yeah. with, the, with the deep dish, which is, I mean, that's a good memory. I'm not oh, saying sure. it's a negative thing, but that's the only time we drank Pepsi. So. Um, yeah. I, it's, it's not good. Coke zero is uh, there. Basically there, there have been times during this year of 2020 when, uh, the stress, the stress, uh, wad of stress in my stomach has not allowed many things into my stomach. Um, mm. But the three things that I always find home are peanut M&Ms, pretzels, and Coke Zero. So. Mm. Okay. Uh, yeah. my, mine have generally had alcohol in them. Well, Those are the things that can always, that can always about, find room. I'm talking about work, Harvey. <laughs> okay, I got you. Uh, speak for yourself. Uh, um, but right. yeah, widespread panic. Yeah, well, that's I was going to say. That's uh, because we haven't done the show in a while. There, we actually have some news, you know, things that we could cover, uh, things that have happened in the world of uh, of widespread panic. We're going to be joined by a guest here in a little bit to talk about uh, his first show and some stuff, some music that he has coming out soon. But 
Let, let's let's update folks on uh, on the things that are going on in in, uh, in Panic World. Uh, did you see the um, the? Well, first of all, did you watch the last Never Miss a Sunday show? Show I did. I watched. Uh, I I missed. I forgot about the first. I forgot about it, of course. And then I saw your tweet, and I was like, ah. So jumped in and saw the back half of the first set and all the second set. Oh, it was so good. It, it was, was so good. Was really I mean, great. I'm so happy they held on to it because that was, I think, is probably my favorite one. I think up until then, it was a tough call between the, uh, to, was uh, it like the 94 Tempe, Tempe yeah. show yeah. and then the, uh, also, but also the, the uh, Summerfest 97, mm-hmm. right? Or, did I, or 90, it was 98. 98. 98. Right. And which I wasn't anticipating to like that much, but was fantastic to, to see. Um, but I think this one, it was nine, eight ninety five from, uh, from, from Walnut Creek, uh, blew them all away. It was so good. It was that great. band was just at, at peak as far as I'm concerned at yeah, that moment. It was, uh, the mix was really great. Um, it's still so weird. Again, I, we, I don't know. I don't remember what we talk about. So I'm just going to say, we probably talked about it before. Um, <laughs> it's so disconcerting. Like just you know, disconcerting is a strong word, but it's just like every time I see Hauser standing, it's just like, why did mm-hmm. he do that to himself for so many years? Yeah, it's yeah. just a, it's and it's like you watch it and it's almost like the 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 ninety five show was so good because there were some really great close ups on him, and so mm-hmm. it was great to see like the string bending and then you know just the way that he the sustain and stuff like it was very cool um mm-hmm. but i just kept watching it's like dude you should have sat down take a seat, bro. years ago because it just it just didn't matter but um yeah, yeah those that, that 94 show like we talked about with jb and the ridiculous flannel and stocking cap mm-hmm. and stuff and like this show too it's like he was just so young so energetic you know it's just yeah. they were it was great schools was awesome um yeah it's and that's that's such a good show anyway i mean that's that's been a a fave for a number of years but that and then to see the colonel come out and do love light like that was super yeah so good that is uh you know if that is the stretch of of panic the you know i would say probably two years of where basically every time you saw them it was going to be better than the time before you know and and you didn't think that was possible because the last time you saw them was was the best time you'd ever seen them you know um they were they were firing on all cylinders well one of the things that we did not do during our hiatus was celebrate any 25th anniversary shows from fall tour Mm -hmm. 95 which both of us think so highly of fall tour 95 i know um and i was i was all prepared i had show i had you know done a lot of homework i had notes i had all kinds of things and then i just never got caught and then uh, and then uh we didn't do 20th anniversary of fall 2000 either which we of course we've long agreed is the last great tour um but i kept up with that too and especially the november shows and found some things that i hadn't a couple one that i hadn't listened to in forever um and then you know just re-listening to some shows i went to and some shows around those and like it's just it's 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 so solid it's so good but man fall 90 fall 2000 is great but fall 95 is is just not another level there's this i mean they're not it's not the tightest at times but man the 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 intentionality is there so i'll give it's uh that's great stuff 
Yeah. And, you know, we don't have to do stuff on its anniversary, although we're coming up on on the 25th anniversary of of our favorite year of all time. So I think we'll be spending some time uh, in 1996 next year. But um, yes. And we've got and a we big can... uh, New Year's anniversary coming up, which we'll talk about with our special guest. But uh, yeah, I mean, we did ten, the 25th of Halloween, 95, and then 25th of New Year's, 95, the Latin and Macon. And, uh, or, uh, yeah. So yeah, just quite a time for this band. So, uh, speaking of New Year's, as the band wound down the uh, Never Miss a Sunday show, they picked up their their run to New Year's uh, pay per view. Um, they they're doing well as we, as this will be released. You will have missed the first couple, but they don't really count because they happened after two thousand two. So, um, <laughs> the ones that we care about are still yet to come. The first one being December nineteenth uh, will be twelve twenty nine oh one. Uh, and then December 26th will be 1230.99, followed by on New Year's Eve, 1231.99, um, which those, is... Those are pay-per-views? Yes, wow. they are pay-per-views. Okay. So um, are you asking, like, are you surprised that they are charging money or that they are going to play this... Um, I'm surprised yes. that they're after giving after after giving, giving away, stuff away for so long, giving away the milk for free for most of the year. Um, yeah, it's a uh, I guess it's an interesting choice, but um, I'm sure the stuff that they have from Phillips is 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 high quality. Um, yeah, yeah, and I think a lot of the stuff that they had been showing this summer is yeah, there's been a lot of uh, you know caveat emptor type stuff right like you know not necessarily things you would release or charge for but um i think this stuff from phillips i'm sure will be they're charging 9.99 per show which i think is super, oh, reasonable. super reasonable okay yeah, yeah. and uh you can no the new year's that. eve stream is 14.99 and then you can run uh you can well you could have bought all five for 34.99 but you're past oh, that wow. now so but um that's yeah a, that's, 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 that's fair <clears throat> um but yeah, I might do the New Year's Eve show. I mean, that's a that's a great show, the twelve thirty one ninety nine with Dottie Peoples and um, and those folks, Dirty Dozen, and uh, it's not so, like it's going to so be we'll it's not going to be a Seacrest or anything exciting to watch from uh, Times Square. And I know you're a big Times Square guy, I'm sure. So oh yeah, no, no, uh, yeah. Uh, so so that's happening. Um, so those are, those are your New Year's Eve plans. Uh, they released the, uh, the the original 45, the Coconut 45. Did you get that, Jeff? I didn't. I didn't. You did, though. <sighs> okay. <laughs> I did, yeah. Um, I I ordered it from uh, from the, the place down in uh, Oxford. The, oh, good. Uh, what's it called? The, uh, end the, of the, the, the End of All Music. End of all music. So I got order from them. Uh, it showed up on Black Friday, which was awesome. And um, I put it on for a spin and it sounded great. I was uh, glad. I mean, I'd heard it before digitally, but to actually hear it uh, on, on vinyl, it was it was cool. I, I love that sound of the band, especially that Sleepy Monkey, like old school. It's just, it's got such a good vibe. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, they only released, uh, it was originally recorded February 9th, 1986. So we're actually coming up on the, what is that, Jeff? That is that 
35 years? Holy 35 moly. 35 years next year, yeah. Yep. Coming up on the 35th anniversary of the, that recording uh, at Panoramic Studio in Arnoldsville, Georgia. Do you know how many copies of the original vinyl were pressed? When I look it up, it'll tell me 500. Okay, well, that's not the point of a trivia question, Jeff, is to guess. <clears throat> Sorry, I'm on uh, Discogs, and uh, there's, it looks like there's only been one original copy sold on Discogs for $500 uh, last mm. June. So wow. if you've got a box of Wonder, them, kids, you know, hang on. I don't think anybody's got, <laughs> I don't think anybody's got a box of them. Um, and then news that just came out recently, uh, the... They announced some some shows. The original, uh, the Austin run, which was originally for early June of this year, and then got postponed to late July. That was kind of ridiculous that they thought they'd be able to do that. And yeah. then to late January is now rescheduled to uh, Memorial Day weekend, May twenty seventh through 29th. I feel like they got a decent chance to to pull mm-hmm. that off. Mm-hmm. Um, so that'll be at the uh, Moody Theater in Austin, Texas. So. Um, the other sure will be excited to get back out on the road. The other uh, bit of news was just before election day, they uh, released a single, digital single of Sundown Bay. Oh yeah, there's that. Yeah, no, that's uh, again, that's affecting things that are you know happening uh, since 2002. So it's that's not true. on my radar. But uh, our, our friend of the pod, uh, Mark Spusta. The great uh, artist yeah, did, no, the artwork did, is awesome. Did that. the artwork yeah. for it, which is pretty cool. So, um, and the B side is great too. Is mm-hmm. a live cut from uh, from one of the Pelps, I think. And uh, yep. yeah, 2015. So I'm re- so I'm reading here on jambands.com. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so there's been all kinds of panic things uh, happening, and then uh, JB, there was the uh, the Tipitinas thing. Right? Did yeah. the band involved with the Tipitinas thing at all? Yeah, yeah. He did a he did a, a song. Um, he said that he the first the reason that the Tipitinas holds a special place in his heart is that uh, the first time they played there, which I think was ninety one, right? Um, he, I guess, met his wife on that trip to New Orleans. Yeah. I had no idea that that's where he met her, but apparently that's where he did. Um, so it's great that people there. I mean, I'm, there are a lot of people that have fond memories of Tipitinas, but I'm sure there's an equally large number of people that have not so fond memories of Tipitinas adventures. So it's good that he's got a good one at least. Yeah. 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 Um, and hopefully, and again, we can, I feel like we could just make all of these, uh, public service announcements, but, uh, when, when the world comes back and we can go be with each other, please go see live music, support independent mm. venues. Um, you know, obviously I'm sure some of y'all are going out to eat or at least getting takeout, um, supporting local restaurants as much as you can. We're going to lose a bunch of them. We've already lost some here in Memphis. Now I think all the venues are hanging on for dear life, hoping, hoping there's something, but your Senator from the fine state of Kentucky keeps making things difficult. Both of them, Harvey. Um, yeah, they're, they're not the best. Um, <laughs> So, um, but hopefully when we can all be together again, we can go see some shows because, you know, um, they, the musicians love playing in independent venues. They don't want to all play in live nation venues. Uh, they like playing in places that are run by people from the communities in which that they're traveling to and, mm-hmm. and supporting those small businesses. So we got to do our part too. And, you know, we've all been stuck inside and I'm going to have a, 
got, got a feeling that as soon as fans like Panic and other folks get back on the road, they're not, they're not going to know what to do with all the people that are going to start showing up. So yeah, I really I do I hope and I feel that yeah it's going to um, things are going to come back pretty pretty hot and heavy. Uh, assuming people have money to spend, but <laughs> you know um, that's what they're going to want to spend their money on is going out and experiences right because we've been missing out for a while <laughs> we've been buying shit we if we've been if we've been able to buy shit we're buying shit we don't need that comes to us via amazon no no and not doing anything so right um okay uh anything else any newsy newsy things to to cover uh, i don't think so you know i think one of the the some you know there's been a lot of since we last talked, they, we've done three, three sort of record store day drops in August, September, October, and then we did Black Friday at the end of November, and there's been some interesting stuff that's come out in all of those. The Almond Brothers released a bunch of stuff um, over the course of those. They reissued a complete live show from the Fillmore West, uh, July, January 31st, 1971, which is an awesome show. Um, from start to finish, killer version of Dreams. Um, you know, it was about a month and a half before Fillmore East, and so they're just firing on all cylinders, and the sound is great. Again, just like with everything, the the sound is great, and the music's awesome. The packaging's terrible. <laughs> it's just the the graphic design is just so lacking. It's so frustrating. Um, and uh, but the other thing they did was they uh, released a live show from two thousand five from Erie, Pennsylvania. And then they issued a recording of the last show that Dwayne ever played, which is uh, October 17th, 1971 and at the painters mill music festival in Owings mill, Maryland, um, which is pretty cool that that show is, was just uncovered. It was a journalist that had gone to interview Dwayne and just had a tape recorder and like a tape and interviewed Dwayne and then had the tape recorder and some battery power. So when the show started, he just like, Oh, I guess I'll record it and uh and recorded it and it's like it's not a great recording and honestly the show is not super awesome um but it is kind of cool you know to hear the last you know notes that that Dwayne ever played live with the Almond Brothers band so there's been some cool releases you know in Jam Band World there's a new Sturgill out right bluegrass yeah Sturgill. got the bluegrass album mm-hmm. um, yeah, that's good. and uh sturgill as ever and jason isbell and his wife have were have been great on twitter during this whole time especially around the country music award shows um yeah. <laughs> which yeah. if you don't follow jason isbell on twitter anyway you should because he's, he's he's just fantastic um but that was especially good around one of the country music award shows and um their lack of even acknowledging that John Prine and Billy Joe Shaver uh, and some a few other folks actually existed, so um, all of whom passed, you know, this year. I guess Shaver was one of the big ones that passed within the last couple months, and then you know, you know, the the hits keep coming. Uh, Debo from Friday passed away today, Harvey. So mm. uh, you know, Tiny Lester, R.I.P. Yeah. Um, we had a new, uh, government mule live album from the, from the beacon. It's the new year show from 2017, I think. Oh, that's uh, the, the summer of love show that they did. The, it was like all revolution songs. Yeah. Um, and stuff. Yeah. And a ball of confusion and, um, yeah, that's good stuff. So, all right. um, 
Okay. Well, we got a, we have a good friend of mine and a, and a, a fan of, of the show or listener of the show and, and fan of the band um, who is, uh, who lives here in Lexington. And he's got um, a couple new tracks that he's releasing soon. Um, not, not really panic related, but you know, adjacent, right. We're all in the same kind of family. And uh, so he's going to come on. We're going to talk about, uh, 123095 which uh is a great show and uh and about what he's got going on so let's take a quick break and uh, we'll be back with uh, Scott Wooden. All right, welcome back. We are joined by uh by my friend and one of the uh well, you're 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 very talented in in all the different things that you do, Scott, and um, we very appreciate fine. you taking your time uh, to come in and uh, and share some of your insight, both in uh, in Watchbird Panic and then some of the other things you have going on. But Scott Whitten, welcome to the Bluest Tape. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. So um, let's. Uh, so we're going to get into twelve thirty ninety five. That's your first Panic show, right? That's my first. Show. That was my first show. Um, I kind of think maybe for people around our age and maybe a little older and a little younger, I kind of think everyone has, if they're the kind of person who's smart enough to listen to this, they have their panic conversion narrative. Like it's, it's their, it's their convert story. It's uh, on the road to Damascus, if you will. And that was definitely where it began to click, where it began to make sense. It doesn't always happen at the first show, too. No. Oftentimes, the first show is a blurry, drunken mess, right? And it's sure. the second, right? Or third you show. and your but you and your buddies, and having a, and that's that's great too. Um, but no, for me, um, I've been a guitar player since I was nine years old. My dad was a bluegrass player. My mother plays classical piano. Um, music's been a part of my life, my whole life, and um, it's interesting because at the time I was a senior in college at Winthrop and I was starting to look at grad schools and I was, um, I'm a writer. I teach at Transylvania university. I'm a writing professor there. Um, at the time when that show happened, um, one of the fellows that I was playing with a lot at Winthrop, he was the definitive spreadhead, but also the guy who hit me to Zappa and the guy who hit me to uh, King Crimson's Red and, and mm. all kinds of like, he was sort of the, the musical library amongst many of my friends and many of your friends too are probably the same way or just they're the, they're the guy you go to. And, um, and I heard panic in his, his house a lot and things like but I, and I knew it was good, but I, to, to be honest, it was background music. It was something that everyone at this sort of hippie school listened to. Okay, fair mm. enough. And um, I every year at the time, um, my family would do we would go to the beach for Christmas, and I got a phone call at the place we were staying, which is kind of miraculous in and of itself because this is you know twenty years before cell phones. Yeah, right, right. And, but that's how we just figured it out. Whatever it was, you know what I mean. You just like you figured out where the guy was, and you called <clears> the front right. desk, and you're like, Where, "Where's the Wooden family staying?" Or whatever it is, right? You know? And, and so like, you got there, yeah. Right. And so Ryan catches me, and he goes, "What would you think about driving to Spartanburg tonight?" And I'm like, "That's in the why am I doing that? That's the entire way across the state." And um, he's like, because Panic's play in at Spartanburg Memorial. And I was like, you know, we're bandmates, and I love talking with Ryan. And I knew that if, 
to be quite honest, I knew that if Ryan wanted me to drive four and a half hours, it was going to be worth it. And, um, and he was right. And, um, mm-hmm. so, um, and one of his other friends and another bandmate, we met up at, at Spartanburg and, and I remember, remember we ate at the beacon in Spartanburg. So if you're a South Carolina native, shout out to the beacon, best sweet tea in the world. Um, and, uh, I remember the first thing I the first thing I remember is as a guitar player, why isn't this called the Michael Hauser band? And like, and, I, and I, I'm dead serious, like because yeah. I, I really think there's that moment in um in the Earth Will Swallow You where Dave says Sonny's the secret weapon and Mikey's the secret genius, and I think when I saw that movie for the first time, I was like, I was right because the two things I remember the most were. Mr. Hauser is such an underrated guitar player. And I think he brought something to quote jam band guitar playing that a lot of people didn't have. And it was a sense of atmospherics. It was the use of the, of the surf box, the tremolo unit and the volume pedal that allowed for an airiness that I was finding. Like at the time I was really into like Brian, Eno 70s solo records and I was really into ambient music and I was really into Krautrock and, and German experimental music and everything kind of hangs in the air chord wise. And I was like, wow, he's playing quote improvisational music like the Grateful Dead, but it had a warble to it, like the tape slowing down in front of you. And I thought that and Sonny, not just like banging on stuff, but playing really intricate percussion parts. And I love percussion. I, that's the thing I remember the most walking out of that. And, and that, and looking back, I'm like, wow, my first show was that show. How lucky. So it's kind of like my, you know, I know people whose first show was uh, the middle night of the new Orleans run Halloween 2000. Like that was your first show. Oh my God. So that's kind of yeah. where the story begins. Yeah. Yours was red mile, wasn't it? So uh, my very first show, and this is where, you know, it, it didn't click. Uh, I saw them at Municipal Auditorium uh, at a Horde show in the summer of 1993, okay. and they were headlining after a 12-hour day of music. And it was, mm-hmm. and we were there because you know I was 16. Um, we were there from the beginning because you know what oh, else yeah. are you going to do? And it was, right. you know, it was all good. And and Colonel Bruce and Big Head Todd and Cowboy Mouth was the local art band, and um, you know the samples and Blues Traveler samples. and Watchword Panic. And by the, by the end of the night, I mean we were spent. You know what I mean? And so it was like, <laughs> right. there was nothing left for Panic as great as they were. And so it was like it was good, but it, I didn't I didn't get it. You know, and then. Um, and it, it was two years later when I saw him at the Red Mile in September of 95, where it was, where it clicked, you know, mm-hmm. and then, um, which is, you know, right in this same, this fall 95, uh, well, where if you think of me like, so, so Jeff, uh, I teach writing and, and I also uh, come sort of from like a cultural history background. So for me, my brain is where does a thing play into the story? And so I always think like, this is only a few weeks before sit and ski, you know, like mm-hmm. this is only a few weeks um, we're, we're heading towards like the killer Von Brom shows and, and, and Huntsville. And, and I keep thinking like, this is the, this is one of the last moments when they're your dirty little secret. Like they're still playing auditoriums and, you know, a few weeks before they're playing the, you know, classic center and things like that, but it's not mega panic yet. It's right. not, 
God knows how many Red Rock shows sold out. And it's not Nola Ween's yet, but it's really close. And so this is sort of like the wave before it breaks. Well, it is. It is interesting because, yeah, you can see the band is just is so primed, right? They're just mm-hmm. they're, they're just firing on all cylinders. And when you think about it in in a perspective of the, you know, quote unquote, jambient band scene where you're now. Uh, th- did you say jambient band scene? Jambient. I you love that. No. No, I said jam band scene. Quote unquote. Jambient band. I thought he said jambient. jambient. Well, no, I just I think I like that better. I like so that better. I mean, I, I mean, like they're they're wow. a jambient band. Well, <laughs> I mean, like well, I mean, that goes back to Hauser doesn't play like other players in that. Of course, he's drawing from Jerry, and of course, he's drawing from other people, but he's definitely his own thing. He's a big fan of like the suspended chord. He's a big fan of like the suspended second where things kind of like the, the, the everyone else lands the cord on the root and his hangs in the right. air. And um, right. my old roommate called it the panic green space. And he was like, this is the green space of the note that hangs in the air. And it's, it, that's what makes it different for me. So, and that's why when it lands, right, it, it, yeah, it right. carries so much more weight, right? Yep, exactly. Like, oh, mm-hmm. my God. Uh, sure. So, but yeah, no, just uh, from a historical perspective though, you're, you know, you're six, six months after, or, you know, four months after Jerry died. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and all those kids were, were immediately went to the fish tour. And so they hadn't found panic yet. Right. But panic was about to explode mm-hmm. musically. And then it was like, it was a slow build from that when people started realizing like, Oh, well, this is where it's at. Right. It's really and, fun. Um, so definitely uh, a Southern phenomenon and, uh, definitely, now, this is something you and I actually talked about this a long time ago. And um, so one of the things I, when I, when I when at that show, could I name 10 panic songs? No. At that show. I mean, like I'm going because Ryan's going to tell me, Ryan told me it's great. And I'd heard like tapes, by the way, panic is one of the last moments of cassette culture as we knew it. Um, so let's sure. think about that too. Jeff's still um, hanging on to all those. I promise. Dude, I have a tape. Dude, I have a tape deck in my truck, and I love it. Ah. So, um, so if you want to, I can send you. Here's a term you haven't heard in a while. I could send you some blanks and postage. <laughs> um, so could I name ten songs? No, I couldn't. But I, I think Panic. One of the things they do and did well, and one of the things that affected me the most is that. They led you to other things, like because their tastes were so varied. So I had just gotten into Funkadelic in a big way at that moment. Eddie Hazel, oh my God, he's one of my favorite players. And um, and so that night, like it's in the it's the endish of the first set, I think. And Keen's out there playing pedal steel, and they go into Maggot Brain, and Scott Whidden loses his freaking mind. Because yeah. I'm like, I loved that. And so one of the things is um, I moved to New Orleans shortly after. And New Orleans music is one of the things that Panic helped lead me to. And Professor Longhair had helped me lead to that. And they helped lead me to appreciating traffic. And for me, like Steve Winwood, you know, my memory of Steve Winwood is back in the highlight, which some people like. I don't. But um, but uh, it led Higher me to. love. Come on, man. <sighs> Ow. The problem is it's now stuck in your head. That, that's yeah, the problem. But like uh, traffic and like so and Dr. John. And so for me, 
you know, it's this idea of, you know, we, a band that gets you to other sounds and expands your listening knowledge and expands the things you love. And then you realize you're able to talk to certain people and you're using this sort of language where you know, oh, they're part of this thing you're part of too. Like they're hip to it. And it's not really an insider outsider thing, but it's definitely a like localized knowledge thing where you get to see how panic panic tour at the time is kind of like baseball. It's not about the game. It's about the season. And like, how do things have been flow outside of a timeline? At least that's how I loved it. Yeah, no. And I mean, I, I, I re-listened to the show today cause I knew we were going to do this tonight. And, mm-hmm. and, um, and the thing that struck me about maggot brain was, you know, thinking back to, so I saw the night after this, the Macon show, the New Year's okay. Eve show. And um, so putting myself in that space, I'm quite, quite confident that I would not have recognized maggot brain or known what it was. And so thinking back to what my head would have done, had I experienced that as like a fresh off the, I would like, if I had been just thinking, Oh, that's just some crazy jam that panic mm-hmm. is playing. I would like, my head would have exploded, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, it's just so good. And, it's so uh, good and so tight. They do the intro part, which is cool. I'll tell you another thing I remember now that I'm thinking about it. Um, I'm a, I, I write songs with lyrics and I, I write all kinds of things, but I just put out a two in, a two volume instrumental uh, collection as a benefit for Central Music Academy, which is a nonprofit here in Lexington. Uh, since 2004, they've given over 40,000 free music lessons to kids in need. I think these people are great. Um, so instrumental music has always been a big part of my life as, you know, starting off as a metalhead and then finding King Crimson and then finding Panic and then finding all kinds of things. They played three instrumentals that night. There's West Virginia, there's AFD, and there's a jam coming out of tire shoes it's pretty long i think so like the idea of oh they're not afraid to to make everything based around a vocal hook um and i thought that was for someone who was not jam band literate i had older friends who loved the dead and eventually i became like a huge 70s dead guy i'm also like a brent defender um but uh yeah early brent 80 and 81 are phenomenal so and, you um, know, and maggot brain is pretty much an instrumental too. It is, yeah. I, you know, and so like even looking back, I mean, who? Uh, so you mentioned that the types of uh, music uh, that where you saw instrumental pieces, but like the the dead didn't really do like four minute instrumental songs, right? And um, you know, fish didn't, I don't think, and and don't really to this day. And I mean, there, there are certainly bands that are playing now that have instrumentals, but um, that seemed to be a pretty unique, especially when you talk about it being like a tight, like almost pop song, right? I mean, you know, a three to five minute instrumental. Um, it's hummable. Passage. You can, you can hum B of D, you can hum A of D, you can hum that they have a hook. Houses. Really I mean, I feel like that is all, that is like all Mike and like in a, in a, and some Todd, like that's pretty mm-hmm. much the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, how, so, help me out, help me out here. Uh, okay, this is where I got to ask y'all a question. How long had JoJo been in by this point? So Not, his first show was uh, March of '92. So okay, so three years. You know, three years, but you know, I think he was still like the new guy. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, uh, and you can tell that he's you know uh, 
not that he's not comfortable, but like he's still pretty aggressive, like in trying to find his spots, you know, as mm-hmm. opposed to like where you see him now. I think they, you know, he kind of knows that they're more comfortable with each other, maybe. I love, I mean, like you and I both love New Orleans music and we're both fond of the James Booker, Professor Longhair tradition. And uh, one might say that uh, JoJo brings that sort of lineage to the band in a way that just, it gives another layer and another sense of purpose. Yeah. And it was, I mean, bringing, I think one by one debuted earlier in 95. And, and so that was really the beginning of, and red beans was in the same time period. The next night, that was um, New Year's. Yeah. That was a lot of fun, but that was when, you know, he started bringing his own stuff, right? Like it was mm-hmm. more than just for the first couple of years, Jeff, I mean, besides like blackout, I mean, that was pretty much it, right? You might get like a, like a, Junko or early or something, mm-hmm. but those are pretty rare to see like regular Jojo songs. It, it wasn't until 95. I don't think. Right. Yeah, that's right. I didn't really start to see them amping up in the spring and then by that late summer run. And then for sure by fall, it's pretty regular, pretty featured. And then obviously for sit and ski, Jojo has a lot of uh, yeah. moments with solace and, um, uh, your blues and some other mm-hmm. things that he gets to do during uh, February '96. Yeah. Um, so um, you get uh, you get some John Keane at the show. I mm-hmm. mean, what did you? Because that's such a weird instrument, right? To bring on the stage, and you're almost like, what is? What's that sound? Where is it coming from? You My, know, it's uh, the guy sitting behind a little desk, you know, by the drummer, right? So my, my, my producer on my solo stuff, uh, J Tom NATO, who lives here in Lexington, he's from Pennsylvania and moved here from like, DC. He was in a band called these United States that I loved. And he plays in other projects too. Vanderveer. He did that for a long time. Horse feathers, uh, based out of Oregon. I believe he does stuff with them. He's a pedal steel player. And I'll tell you what, man, I, I, I've been a guitar player my whole life. I've been a serious bass player for about 10 years. I've always messed around with them. I can like, if it has a string, I can usually figure out something. You're making a string shorter or a string longer. That's really the science here. A pedal steel is like a freaking zither in, uh, in, in some sort of engine contraption. It has levers on your knees as well as pedals on your feet. Plus, you're muting with the fatty part of your pick hand. Plus, everything is barred. And I do not understand how that works. And I love, you know, I love old school country pedal steel players. But I think what Keane does is a lot more like what Daniel Lenoir does with pedal steel, where it's more of like wash and texture and more of a cinematographic way of playing the instrument. And so I didn't know who that guy was. And I, and to be honest, I don't remember him being on there, but I remember <laughs> the tape, right? Right. That's uh, what I'm saying. Right. But listening to the notice. tapes, but listen to the tapes. I'm like, he is such a crucial part. And I'm so glad that my first show has him involved because he's such a big part of that story. Uh, he's part of, you know, med- till the medicine takes. And he's part of like so much after that. And uh, I'm glad that I got to dip in there. Yeah. Nice. Um, and it's weird because uh, like, um, real quick, I, I, I had this, I tell this story a lot because I, I listen to a lot of different kinds of music, as you know. 
and I, and I love, I grew up with punk rock and I grew up with a lot of experimental music and I like a lot of sort of left of center things. I love the fact that Dave school stays current. And I love the fact that he, he loves indie rock and punk rock stuff. And Athens is a small enough town where the indie kids got to live with the punk rock with the jam band kids. It's kind of like the members of black flag being huge deadheads, but you wouldn't expect that. So I love the fact that the one of the bands that marks my musical growing up had such big ears that could range from New Orleans music to Colonel Bruce to Vic Chestnut, you know, to cover that much ground. Yeah, I mean, I, and maybe I'm, you know, there's, but it seems to me like, you know, I don't know how many bands have so many diverse influences from the members. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, I. I just, it seems like they're, they're all so unique in what, Mm -hmm. in what they bring to the table musically, not just how they play, but like what you can tell influences they're playing. Um, It just seems to bring all that together. And it obviously feeds like a gumbo, right? And that's Mm -hmm. what you end up with. Um, Mm -hmm. And I just, so, I mean, I can't think off the top of my head of other bands that, that are, I'm I'm sure there are, but like, it just seems so unique to me. I think it's, I think, the musicians I love the most are the ones that have the biggest ears and the ones that are not afraid to try to embrace different things, even just for exposure's sake. Um, in the end, it, it may not be a thing now, but it may be something that percolates in your fingers and in your thinking or in your lyrics or whatever you do two years, five years, 10 years down the road. So it's, 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 it's always, always fun. So, after this show, I mean, so it, it clicks at this point. I mean, are you, or are you, are you like, okay, where's, <laughs> yeah. the, where's yeah. the next show? Or are you like, you know, okay, now I'm ready to, to listen I, to more. I, I will say this. I'm going to tell you. So I was looking at grad schools at the time I was going to, I was applying to MFA programs in creative writing. And later on I got a PhD and, and, and now, now I live here. Um, so when I was looking at grad schools, I, um, in general, I was like, well, I'm not just the kind of person who does school. I want to live in a town where at least there's going to be good music that's native to it, as well as opportunities to see bands that come to it. And I will definitely say that, hmm, Louisiana tends to get a large number of panic shows. And, and lo and behold, what happens the next year? Uh, Godzilla Night One at Nolene or whatever. So mm-hmm. that was, it, it's kind of funny. I, I remember I did a, a visit at a lovely graduate school, but in the middle of nowhere going, nope, not doing it. Um, because it was like, I looked, I was looking in like an early everyday companion, closest show, three hours. Nope, not happening. <laughs> so um yeah, so I moved to Louisiana. A, a lot of that was because I wanted to really explore Louisiana music. My grandmother was from Louisiana, um, and, uh, and and I was able to not only do New Orleans kinds of things, but I fell in love with Southwest Louisiana, Louisiana music, like Cajun and Zydeco music. I asked my wife to marry me at a Zydeco show, which you know, which everyone should do is ask someone to marry them at a Zydeco show. So. Things like that. Because who, who's going to say no, right? Everybody's in such a good mood at right, that point. Right, exactly. Possibly say, get out of here. Right, right, right. I mean, someone's got a tall boy in their hand and they're having a good time. So it's going to be okay. Um, so favorite favorite venues in New Orleans to see live music? My, f- okay. So let's divide that up a you little bit. You can't list them all. So like, you know. uh, Right. Um, first thing 
is I think Tipitina's should be considered like a historical monument. Like you put a plaque and, and it gets protected by the state and, and it, that's the reverence I have for that place. And the, the memories I have ranging from seeing a Sonic youth twice. And one of those nights is probably in my top five shows of all time um, to seeing all kinds of traditional new Orleans music, um, falling in love with the, you know, with George Porter. Um, that was a Tipitina's thing. Um, there was a, uh, I do love, um, Okay, is it still called the Louis? It's still there. It's not open now, obviously, but the Louis Armstrong Theater. Panic played one show there during Jazz Fest. It was a one night run. Um, they did a day show and the night show. It was on Rampart Street. Um, I oh, love well, that's uh, that's a municipal auditorium. Yes, that's, thank you. Yeah, so that's where I saw them the first time in '93. But yeah, it's right down there by Louis Armstrong Park. It's by right Louis Armstrong to- Park, and right across from an old place called I, God. I hope this place still exists. Um, it made it through Katrina. It was called the Funky Butt. Did you ever go there? Oh yeah, no, I do. I don't know if it still is, but I will say the Municipal Auditorium is essentially a blighted property now. That it is, oh, it's been abandoned. I think pretty much since the storm. Uh, it's oh, still God. standing, but um, yeah, it's the the pictures of the inside are like those, you know, old abandoned malls and and high schools. Oh, that's heartbreaking. Um, Things got yeah, because it was fast. a beautiful. Yeah, it was a beautiful space, too, for being just an auditorium. It was like a classic auditorium. It was sort of old-worldy, in a sense. Um, Where else did I love seeing shows? Um, Let's see here. Tips was great, of course. Um, I love seeing um, Circle Bar, Rest in Peace. I loved that Mm -hmm. place. Um, Checkpoint Charlie's, I saw a lot of great sort of you know, independent rock and, and, and loud punk rock there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, upstairs at the dragon's den, I got to see, um, one of my favorite sh- things to do was there was this thing called the new Orleans klezmer society and they play klezmer music, like gypsy jazz, Django Reinhardt kind of stuff. And I, I whenever they did a once a month thing there and I never missed that. That was super fun. So, mm. And then um and then um, I moved here. So and I, along the way, I lived in Baton Rouge for a while as well, and I lived in Lake Charles, Louisiana, for three years. Well, you know, it's funny we we're talking about like JoJo being the new member. I feel like you're like just moved to Kentucky, but it's been like f- what, like fifteen years. I, I'll oh. always feel like the new kid wherever I go, but it's been uh-huh. f- it's been fifteen years this coming August. That's crazy. Yeah, man. that's a long time. It's so a long you're, time. You're almost a Kentuckian. Um, you know what? I'm just waiting for someone to make me a colonel. That's really all I'm doing. So, it's a it's a special moment. I'm a colonel. <laughs> oh, that means you can't you like write someone or call someone? I don't know if I don't know if I have, if I have that kind of stature or not, but I can I can see. You I'll put see. A, I can do it. Uh, Jeff Harvey's going to put in some calls to his. I'm not an ag- I'm not an you know an active participant. I just no, have I don't, is, is anyone. <laughs> Well, no, I think they are. I mean, because they they do a lot of fundraising and sure. you know they do have some events and stuff. Yeah, that don't do that. But no, I don't have been, the license plate or anything. So yeah, I've been here fifteen years, and uh, I teach at Transylvania. I play in a variety of bands. <clears throat> I do solo stuff too. Um, I play bass in a band called Letters of Acceptance. We put out three EPs over the past two years. We're in the process of mixing a um, another project, which I think will probably be a full length. Um, and I have a number of project bands that do one-offs, for example, uh, a couple of weeks ago at, um, oh, oh goodness. Um, 
Manchester Music Hall, we did a filmed set, no audience, uh, with a project I do. It's called Sister Ray. It's an all Velvet Underground covers project, and that's really really fun with people in various bands around town. So, and I'm about to put so, out a. Go ahead. Yeah, well, so I want to get into what you're about to put out, but talk a little bit about you know just because I, well, we talked to Sam Holt a little bit about, but like what what is the you know, as a musician and it's obviously, it's not, you're not, a. I mean, I used to be a full-time musician, but it's not your, you know, it's not your livelihood necessarily. I would say it's my, I would say I get asked (laughs) that a lot and I say that, um, it is my life and that my wife is a librarian who is also a writer. Um, you know, her book comes out tomorrow, which is great. Um, yeah. Uh, so I think that uh, this is what I chose to do. You know, my dad had a number of jobs, but always played music. Um, My mom, you know, piano was her life too for a long time. So I think, I don't think of things as hobbies. I think if you're going to do it, then do it and, uh, and make everything connect at some point. So the way I think about teaching is a lot of the ways I think about working with a band and vice versa. So, uh, I just like the Colonel says, you gotta do it with intention, right? You have to um, do live with intentionality. Exactly. So, okay. So then speaking as somebody who has gone through this period, uh, for the last eight, nine months, um, as a musician, obviously, you know, you're not going out and playing, uh, shows. Uh, it's, I assume uh, harder to record, uh, you know, with other folks. It's, um, it's, it is, it's doable, but infinitely harder. I'll, yeah, the, taking things for granted, such as being within six feet of someone, for example. Right. Right. So can you talk a little bit about what that, you know, what, what are, like you talked about doing a, a film show, you know, um, what, what are some of the things that, uh, the opportunities that have arisen, not so much the challenges, <clears throat> right, but the things that have that have sure. that have presented themselves as, sure, sure, sure. as positives through this. Um, well, again, I mentioned this earlier. Um, I just put out this thing called Archipelago Volumes One and Two, songs from quarantine, and it's all instrumental music. <clears throat> and that's with uh, a guy named, and that's separate from other work I do, but it's with a guy named Kevin Holm Hudson. He's a professor of music at UK. Um, I like to joke that he wrote the book on music theory, but he did like probably the most popular music theory textbook in colleges is written by Kevin. He's, he's that's super cool. And a guy named Jim Gleason, who is a guitar player and he also teaches at Eastern Kentucky. He teaches in, in uh, business and communications. And uh, so early in the pandemic back when we thought, Oh, this will be fine by summer. You know, when we were thinking those things, um, we were in a text thread and, and Jim said, we should make a record because we all have home studios and, 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 and basement studios and stuff. And I, I kind of joked back. I said, let's make it all instrumental. And they said, OK. And I was like, what have I gotten myself into? Because I can't back down now. So, yeah, um, I think that I don't want to make light of it. Um, independent venues are hurting. And if you're listening and you love an independent venue, go buy a six pack from them to go or find a way to donate to whatever ways are keeping those places open. I don't mean to do calls for action, but um, independent music venues are the life and the blood of anything you love that makes its way into something else. Um, my friends who were full-time touring musicians, um, especially ones who rely on multiple bands, you know, their lives are shut down, but I also see people like, 
uh, my friend Tom Nato, who runs a studio here in town, you know, he's finding ways to, to fly in tracks digitally and really work in mixing. Um, I'm seeing people do all kinds of film shows. I haven't done the live stream thing except one time. And that was, and that was for a very particular occasion. It was for a, a venue that was closing and, um, and was asked to, uh, sort of do a wake of sorts. Um, but I think it was cosmic and, and that, that, that hurt too. So I think what I'm seeing is that I think musicians and all arts people are problem solvers. If you're serious about it, you're going to find a way to make music and, and, and it may not be exactly the way we've done it our lives, but I think you're going to find a way to collaborate either using digital tools or, Hey, I have a four track or whatever. And you're going to find a way to create and fill the well. Um, my friend Jim, who's on that instrumental record, he's like, well, now's the time to woodshed. Um, I'm hoping, I'm hoping, I'm hoping, I'm hoping that we can recognize two things and that a um, what what got you through this pandemic? All the art you watched. So now, when we get back to it, let's get back to paying for it um, and recognizing the value of it. And the second thing is recognizing that music is not just a heart commodity; it's an economic commodity. Um, and independent businesses, independent venues, independent tour musicians, studios that we should recognize the value of those things. And, and I hope that we have a a friendlier environment for those places. Cause those are the places that, uh, that I think about at the end of this ever all the time. And, uh, and museums too, right? Oh, Joe? good Lord. Yes. <laughs> oh, um, we're doing great guys. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> when, when, when you can go back to the stacks museum of uh, soul music, right? Um, someday. And, uh, someday we'll get there. Uh, we'll get through this as, as our governor likes to say, we'll get through this together. Um, our good Lord. We're lucky. Uh, wow. Yeah. He's amazing. So, okay. So Scott, you got, you know, I think if folks have been listening, um, as much as you can, uh, can be effusive about panic, I think you obviously have other influences, uh, <laughs> musically. Um, what what do you have? You, you've got you've got a, a digital single coming out uh, in a few weeks. What uh, and this is where we can maybe come full circle a little bit with uh, with uh, with Jeff and and while you're on here. So um, this project began before COVID began, and then we found ways to complete it uh, in terms of mix and master against stuff all while this was going on. Um, I am about to release a series of digital singles. Uh, They'll be on, of course, Spotify and Apple Music, also on Bandcamp and a couple other platforms. Um, These singles will start on December 27th, which is an odd day to release a single, it might sound like, because it's like right after Christmas and before New Year's, and it's a Sunday. But that date's really, really important if you love Memphis music and you love independent music. <clears throat> that's the death date of a man named Chris Bell. And Chris Bell was a songwriter. He was in a band called Big Star. And um, and I love that band. I love the Big Star story. I'm a huge Alex fan. I'm a huge Jody fan and, and, and Andy, too. Big Star, if you haven't heard them, uh, think of like a slightly Southern Beatles 
in that it was pop harmonies. We're talking about like the early to mid seventies and um, released two and perhaps three, depending on how you count it records. Number one record radio city and a record called third that's been released in various formats and, and orders over the years. Um, Chris was an amazing songwriter. He and Alex wrote together and, uh, most of number one record is their first record is a collaborative opportunity. Um, Chris died very young. He was 27 years old. Um, if you watch the documentary, nothing can hurt me. Or if you read the oral history of Chris Bell, which is a wonderful book, I highly recommend it. Um, you learn that he was a really complicated, complex man who, um, Definitely had a leanings towards a faith-based life, but he also loved the secular life too and, and rock and roll and being part of a rock band and all that comes with it in Memphis in the 70s. Um, and he died very, very young in a tragic car wreck. And so I've always been taken with the Big Star story and I wanted to find a way to tell not the story about Chris. I don't know if that's, I don't know if you can ever tell anyone's singular story, but I wanted to tell a story that's about Chris and Memphis and a little bit about me too. Um, so that's going to be released the B side on December 27th. It was produced by J Tom NATO here in Lexington, Kentucky. Um, I'm really, really pleased that my friend Robbie Casenza, who's the drummer for horse feathers and these United States and the famed robot was able to play on it. Um, and I'm excited to putting that out really soon. Um, there'll be a video that's coming out the same week. Um, and I've been sending it out in terms of press and getting some nice responses. And I, I'm glad to, to know there's people out there who love Big Star. They're the kind of band that did not get their due in their moment. But you can definitely tell they do when bands like R.E.M. talk about how much they love Big Star and how much Teenage Fan Club love Big Star and, and how much I love them. It's um you know it's interesting we I am am not super familiar with Big Star we it it is the title of one of our episodes because we played mm-hmm. a a segment from a from a show that Panic did at the uh, Omni du- New Daisy which is uh, where Big Star had a live record right and they do a live mm-hmm. record there and um and so that was I mean I had certainly heard of them and knew about them and and, but, and, you, and, and you know the and you know the, that seventy show that's what you knew. So well, no, no. What uh, I what I knew was I knew Alex Chilton because right. I grew up in New Orleans in, mm-hmm. in the you know eighties and nineties, and so that's I knew Alex Chilton, but I didn't connect that he was in this you know in this rock band in the seventies in Memphis. The one so, time I got um, to meet Alex was at the Rock and Bowl. Oh well, that would be a place to meet him. <laughs> Getting right. <laughs> we only talked for a second. I was really young, but uh, I'm glad that happened. So that, yeah, he's definitely a New Orleans story too. He was in Tav Falco playing sort of weirdo rockabilly stuff. Um, Alex was definitely hard to pin down. Yeah, and so they uh, and go ahead, Jeff. No, no, go ahead. No, no, please. <laughs> I was Y'all are so polite. <laughs> have you uh, have you read the updated version of? Well, I, it, if those of you that love memphis music or want to learn more about memphis music and memphis history you should read a great book by my uh our good friend robert gordon called it came from memphis it came from memphis um, i love that book which is uh just was reissued by third man press in a uh, 25th anniversary edition 20th anniversary edition and um talks extensively about about alex and chris and and tav and that whole group of 
folks and I was lucky enough to to work with a woman named Pat Rayner to put together a photo show a few years ago of wow. basic basically Memphis music after Elvis died. Um, oh well, yeah. And so it's pictures of Alec Alex at, at Ardent and Mick with John Fry and John Hampton and, and Lisa Aldridge and a bunch of folks. Wow. And, um so very it's very cool stuff. But the thing that's you know, being a Memphis transplant and not from here, I learned early on that Big Star is probably one of the th- top three bands, if not the band that Memphians are I've always sort of seen as like their their thing mm-hmm. because it was never fully appreciated. Mm-mm. It was not fully appreciated for a long time. Um, it kind of feeds into I, their whole ethos, right? <laughs> yes, mm-hmm. it does. I mean, it's the chip on our shoulder thing, right? Yeah. Um, but it's very much a you know the you know the whole story of Big Star breaking on. It was on the Arden imprint, which was distributed by Stat, which was a mm-hmm. Stax imprint and distributed by Columbia, and why it failed because of Stax's terrible business ag- arrangement with Columbia Records, and and so anyway. But it is this this mythic. Big Star itself is at reached sort of mythic proportion yep. and has o- only got its due, you know, when really when REM broke in the early early eighties. Mm-hmm. But Chris is sort of this equally as mythical figure um, as a lot of other Memphis musicians who have who have died way too soon, mm-hmm. and and so I guess you know th- that that's the question I have for you is because I mean I, I have my thoughts on it, but and and certainly have heard it from you know, musicians here in Memphis, but what about Chris Bell? Um, you know, that, that drew you to him. This is somebody that, you know, was in, was in a band before big star called rock city and, Mm -hmm. um, which is a great band. And then was in big star just really for one plus a little bit of a record. Um, but didn't have a solo LP. Um, it did not during his lifetime, not during his lifetime came out posthumously and then our friends at Omnivore Recordings have mm-hmm. reissued. You know, they, they've if if you if 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 there is a towel that you could wring, <laughs> they've wrung it as many times as you can for the Big Star and Chris Bell stuff. But I, anyway, what is it about Chris? Because it is I listened to I Am the Cosmos um, again last week for the first time in probably more than a year, um, and it is. I mean, he's a Memphis musician, but it and it falls into it falls into that Memphis music thing. But it is decidedly different. Um, and he was a different, different. He was a guy. different cat. He is a different and so, cat. And so, what about him? You know, what about him drew you in? The first thing, initially, when my friend Robert Buca handed me a tape that had number one record on one side and Radio City on the other. The first thing that drew me is like, wow, I love the Kinks and I love mid-period Beatles. So therefore, tight, tight harmonies Mm -hmm. and very Vox-sounding amplification, probably Telecasters. Like, okay, so they're playing in, in the sandbox where so much of the pop music that I love comes from. Who the heck are these guys? And so it's kind of like the first thing is like there's that moment of why didn't I know about this my whole life? This came out in the 70s. So there's that. And then there's the wow, this band should have been like, think about it. They're. Badfinger was big in the seventies and it's sort of like Badfinger, raspberries, raspberries, you know, right. All the power pop stuff. And, um, so why isn't, so why not them? 
So there's that level. I'm going to take it a step further. I think Alex sings about girls and I think Chris sings about God. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm not saying that that there, you can drive holes to that argument. But, um, but I do think that like Brian Wilson and like other John Lennon to some degree, Chris was dealing, there's, you know, um, maybe there's only three subjects, you know, love, art, and God, or love, art, and death. And, and like anything you write about is going to be connected to some way of that. Chris hits all of those in his partial time with Big Star and definitely on I'm the Cosmos, where he's thinking about things that are a lot bigger than girls' cars, even though Back of a Car is like the ultimate teenage car song. Um, He's reaching for something that is huge, and he's thinking about orchestration, he's thinking about Mellotrons, he's thinking about strings, and he's doing all that in this, in in this, in Memphis. And and it's, we know Memphis because of Elvis, we know Memphis because of the river, but here's this other story. And if you're not from there, when you find out about it, you find out like you're part of that story just for a moment. And so I thought about the Chris Bell thing for a long time. There's only, you know, all the photos kind of have that look to him. And I kept kind of thinking like, what part of the story can I tell? And I tried to think about him and the family and the band itself and the place he's from and some of the things that were probably that I, that I think might've been on his mind in terms of um, what's here and what might be beyond here. Um, He was definitely a a spiritual gent. It's such a, I mean, him, I mean, and Alex too. I mean, these are two upper middle to well, upper middle class at a minimum kids. Chris, what Chris was Chris's house. Chris's house had a pool. Growing up, yeah, and like Chris's Alec- first house is actually literally down the street from where I'm sitting right now. So <laughs> really, the, yeah. All right, so, so can you he, walk? Yeah, I don't. Maybe walk down the street and take a picture, and and Harvey can give my number. I'm kidding. Um, um, when he uh, me. when when the house was for sale a couple of years ago, and there's a guy that lives in my neighborhood, um, a record collector, Memphis music collector, and when the when they had an open house, he walked he walked over and took a bunch of pictures of it for that reason too. <laughs> um, but it that that that's always been such an interesting thing because Elvis, you know, came was, you know, work work working poor. So many of the mm-hmm. Stax artists were, you know, came from working class families and coming from South mm-hmm. Memphis. Like Alex and Chris are are East those of you that know Memphis, when I say East Memphis, you know what that sort of denotes. Um about sort of the, their, their, their upbringing and, and sort of their status in, in, in life. And, yeah. you know, I mean, Alex's family, you know, held salons basically where, mm-hmm. where and they rolled play- with, they rolled with, you know, William Eggleston and people like that. Yeah. So, and, uh, and Chris's dad is a, was a restaurateur and owned, you know, the Knickerbocker, which is this famous place in Danvers and, and his sister owns this place called Mortimer's, which is basically a shrine to, to Chris and to big star. Um, up on Perkins and, uh, and mm-hmm. Sam Cooper. So it, um, it's just that in the, the course, then there's the Chris mural, um, on, uh, on Cooper, at uh, other coffee now too. So anyway, it's just such an interesting thing to hear folks that aren't, that come from outside of Memphis, but get sucked in by these various parts of Memphis music. And Chris is, you know, somebody who, um, is not, is sort of in that, that, 
the, not on the Mount Rushmore and maybe not in the second or third Mount Rushmore, but he's in the conversation, I think, is most influential because of, again, because of so much of the, the big star influence on R.E.M., Teenage Fan Club, like you said, and, and the power pop that, that mm. comes out in the 80s. And then, of course, oh, the resurgence it? of all of that in the 90s, too, and mm-hmm. brought so many of those bands to Memphis to record with Jody um, and John and the Johns, John Fry and John Hampton at, at Arden. Right. Um, there's that moment in the Big Star movie where uh, Mitch Easter from Let's Active talks about he and his buddies going on a road trip to go to Danvers to go to, to go to the restaurant <laughs> so they might so they might be able to meet Chris Bell and I'm like that story sounds wonderful and youthful and exuberant and I love people who fall in love with rock and roll I love mm-hmm. people who love to trace down these stories and the fact that. REM can lead me to Big Star, which can lead me to a Chris Stamey record, which leads me to the DBs, which leads me to wherever. Um, I love that. It is such, uh, it's such I, a Memphis thing, though. I mean, you were talking about yeah. New Orleans before, and I'm sure it happens there. It's like you can, have, I mean, there's so many of the Memphis folks of Chris's generation that, that are gone, but there's still a hand, quite a few of them around. Um, and, you know, I won't tell you where I can, f- where to find them, but if you, if anybody ever asks, um, you know, I could, when they're, when they're gigging, we can, we can certainly tell you where to find folks because you can come to Memphis and be like, I want to find insert, you know, session, session player at Stax Records from 1972. And you might be able to find them. Um, it just doesn't seem like that happens in other cities. And um, one of my, dear... is... go ahead, go ahead. You please. Oh no! Go ahead. Oh, um, see, we're all so polite here. See, I'm from Wisconsin. It, it, I'm always going to defer. We need some Yankees. <laughs> um, so I asked uh, two friends who live in Memphis, Liz Lane and Christopher Rubano, uh, when we were gathering materials to to make a video for this, and and we we were like, the plans for this got changed because of I don't know. A pandemic um and so i asked them i said i want you to you know, here's the easy way to do this i want you to take your phones and i want you to to show me the memphis you would want some people to see given chris and i love the fact that you know that night on my phone i see the the first thing they send me is the chris mural and i was like oh my god of course it's where it has to start and the the river and looking across to arkansas and i keep thinking though how to our world that they're what is it the tgi fridays in memphis was like the hell raisin rock and roll joint and i'm like what but apparently (laughs) that's what that's what it it was was. one of the original like um franchise tgi fridays in overton square yeah it was like Mm -hmm. it was yeah that was the place and it was was one and it hung on for years, even when over the rest of the bars and businesses had closed around it. But, but the well, that's cup- like the uh, that's like the Holiday Inn in Lexington by New Sur- by, uh, by the interstate yep. where where uh, all the bluegrass pickers, was- Bailey Fleck and Sam Bush and Tony Rice used to play. Oh, yeah, that was yeah. that was bluegrass heaven. That was like yeah. bluegrass ground zero right there. So. Sorry, I didn't mean to, I didn't mean to interrupt yeah. the uh, the Memphis. Uh, no, no. <laughs> okay. But, but what, we're, what we're really talking about, the thing that ties all the things we've talked about together tonight is locality. The idea of um, I'm not a New Orleanian. I'm not a Memphian. I'm from South Carolina. 
And I'm so glad, so, so glad that growing up, I didn't live near the cool record store, but the cool record store was 40 minutes away. And I could walk in and talk to someone and they would be like, you should consider this. Or you like the you like REM. You ever heard the replacements? Nope. Sounds good. Thirteen year old Scott. The rest of your life is both better and worse. Um, and then wait a minute. There's a song called Alex Chilton on Please to Meet uh-huh. Me. And who's that guy? And so I, I I think what makes this all work is that you know you're you you live in Memphis and the Chris Bell story is part of your fabric. But I still get to like, I'm so glad I was able to find my way to that and, and, and to be part and, and to listen to those sounds and draw from them. And then I moved to, yeah, I moved to New Orleans because I wanted to hear some of that and be able to draw from that. And that's what music is to me, is that finding the people who love that thing as much as you do. Um, so that's I love the Chris story and I love Big Star. Um. Yeah, no. So that's awesome. Jeff, did you have other, uh, you sound like you're going to ask something. No, I mean, it's like, it's Scott's got it right. I mean, I think that's one of the special things about Memphis is, is, is the power of place. I mean, I, obviously I work at a, work at something that deals in the power of our business is the power of place. Just like, <laughs> that's what you studios. sell. You sell the power yeah, of place. Just like Sun Studios and, and Graceland are too. But I think the, the thing about Memphis, you know, like you said, we were joking about Danvers and stuff. It's like, you can, those, Although the, although the numbers of number of Danvers has dwindled significantly since I've been here, um, so many of these places that were important, you know, to to Chris and to Alex and that and that scene, um, the, some of the people are still around, but the places are still here too. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, they're not active, but at least you can go and you can. I mean, there's there's so much hallowed ground here, and I think that's one of the things why I get excited about projects like yours, Scott, because again, it is like. Yeah, Graceland's Graceland, Stacks is Stacks, Sun Sun. Like we know that stuff, but like, let's let's turn the pages. Let's see what else is there. Mm-hmm. Um, so the first time it, it, you were really just scratching the surface on on you know digging deeper. And again, Memphis music is its own genre, but uh-huh. I think it's it, it just finding finding you know again somebody like Chris. It's just like this is somebody who is forging his own way, and uh, like you said, you know, spirituality and you know a nice counterbalance to Alex's songs about girls and cars and stuff. Oh, I think, you know, sort of, you know, the, 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 the spiritual vibe of a Brian Wilson slash beach boys, God only knows you're Mm going to find that as the, in some ways that's as much of the DNA of Chris Bell's as, as, as revolver and rubber soul or the kinks. Mm -hmm. Um, and he's thinking about some heavy things. He comes from a, a very religious household and, um, but he's also playing in this rock band. He has questions about his sexuality and who he is. Um, he has a great belief of himself, but also like everyone doubts their abilities. Um, I find his story to be um, incredibly human, incredibly compelling, and, and unfortunately quite too short. So, so well, we... we I guess we're at a point where, you know, we would say like, well, we should play the track, but I don't know if we can play the track. <laughs> well, because it, it doesn't when, drop. When does, so. yeah. <laughs> well, how about the, when does, when does this, when does this episode air? Well, if, if we go by our general MO, it'll be released sometime in the next couple of months, but I'm, I'm actually, I'm, I am hopeful that this will be released. We were, as we record this on December 10th, I'm hoping next week will be my, so we're, okay. that's, you know, 
So uh, I guess this is the, I, I guess this is the part you can edit or not. If it comes out after the twenty seventh, uh, y'all have the MP, y'all have the wave file. Please insert it. Yeah. Hell, put it in there anyway. I, that that go ahead and do it. You have my blessing. I, I'm, uh, I I want more people to hear about Chris, and um, it'll be available on all streaming services. Uh, also, if you go to a door for a desk at bandcamp.com, um, which is pretty easy to find. Also, search through my name. Um, and, uh, I'm really looking forward to, this will be the first of five digital singles that come out over the course of about five months. Each will have a visual component, either an art piece or a video. Um, some of these things I've been able to work with amazing professionals. Some of this stuff is made by me entirely, um, using the tools that I have, uh, in the midst of a global challenge. Um, and I'm really, really looking forward to seeing what people think. It was, it's a, and looking forward to writing the next things too. And the next, and I'm really looking forward to the next time I can walk into the Stacks Museum and go, Jeff, and like, there's that guy that I talked to on a podcast. That'd be amazing. <laughs> right. I'll show um, you. Uh, I'll show. You, I'll show you the test pressings of number one record we have. How about that? Oh man. Done. Done. <laughs> Dude. Oh my God. I'm gonna tell you this though. Like, um. I listen again. We've talked about a wide range of music tonight. Hot Buttered Soul is a wonderful record, and I didn't know y'all had the Cadillac, and I sure didn't know you had it spinning. Mm-hmm. And so when I made that curve to where you entered that room and saw the, the Isaac's Cadillac spinning, I about lost my like rock and roll. Scott lost his mind. I thought that was the that's cooler. And this is the, maybe this is Memphis Heresy. I think that's cooler than Graceland. Um, oh no, it's it's you can say that. Um, <laughs> it's, a, it's a it's a different kind of cool you know i think it's uh um well i feel like if i say anything if, if, if i feel like if i say anything about elvis i feel like i'm, I'm gonna get a chip they're, they're yeah, all you're not allowed to say that i will they're say i will say um <laughs> no but uh on, on, but, on uh, during elvis death week yeah that's what they're go. gonna show the, uh, i'll tell you one thing that bothers okay so i went to graceland for the second time and it's that that's the Graceland tour is interesting to me because the narrative you dive into when you walk in is that he's back from the service and he's an all American boy. Mm-hmm. Like you, that's the narrative they, that's that, how they marketed. The narrative they don't really do is like the rock and roll, very queen looking, very androgynous. <laughs> no, I'm talking about yeah, early rock and later. roll. I'm, ta- I'm talking oh, about okay. early rock. I'm talking oh, about gotcha, gotcha. they don't leather Elvis doesn't happen for them it's sweater elvis it's got it's um king creole elvis and that's fine i guess i don't mean to tell the stories you want to tell but i find it really interesting yes and and he's an all-american boy and this is the american dream right here and i'm like oh my god there's a box uh, at a there's a box at a graceland and um in that box is a bunch of shell casings uh, rifle shell casings and someone had gone out with a metal detector and found a bunch of Elvis's shell casings. Apparently he and his buddies would go out in the woods and shoot guns and get drunk. I swear to God, I wish I was Tom T hall so I could write the Elvis's shell casing song. That's like, <laughs> I would hand that to the drive by truckers and say, here you go. And like, yeah, yeah, there, so. there you go. <laughs> um, Every every American should go to Graceland at least one yes. time in their life. It's actually, yes. you know, as a museum's person, it's actually the the 
one of the best house museums that exists because it actually is how it was lived in. Um, mm. It hasn't changed since August 16th, 1977. Uh, as in, I mean, I, there's lots of things I could quibble with, but I'm, you know, I named my child Presley for a reason. Um, oh, but awesome. there's, there's, there's the house. And then in the, the, the new part, and again, I'm sure people didn't tune in to hear this. I'll just say this. If you like jumpsuits, the new part of Graceland has all the jumpsuits you can handle. And mm. I love jumpsuits. So, uh, it's, it's all, it, I'm all, I'm all for it. Um, but it, it is just, you know, it's just a reinforcing, you know, this thing of we Memphis, I mean, it's, Memphis is a microcosm of the music industry, you know, writ large. It's like, we've got some of the biggest icons in music history. And then we've got some of the, the, some of the foundational formational lesser known musicians that have this huge influence for a, at a different time. And, you know, and, obviously and, and Chris, Chris falls into that category. Chris falls into that. The reigning sound guys fall into that. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, Absolutely. You know, there's, there's so many layers to pull back. And I think that's really, really important to think about when it comes to here's, you know, that the, the big brown God, the river that runs through your town is what connects all parts of the, of the U S and, and here's the story that takes place there. So I really, like we have a humanities scholar on the radio today with us. Uh, it's pretty exciting. Uh, oh God. Hey, that's all right. We'll bring you no, back. That's a good thing. We haven't had one. We haven't, we haven't had one, a real one. I pretend to be one, but we've had, we, we got a real one now. We mostly <laughs> just talk about, uh, about whiskey and college sports. So okay. Uh, so sure. Sports and, and uh, I know, I know days, you can do that too. It's good. Sure. Fiance. Um, <laughs> So anyway, well, this has been great, Scott. Thank you so Thank much you. for sitting in with us and telling us about your 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 work. And obviously, it was fun to hear about uh, Panic Show from twelve thirty ninety five. And and then obviously, we're excited about your your new single that you have coming out. And um, yeah, thanks for joining us. Thank y'all so much. I, I I really really appreciate your time. Harvey was one of the first people I talked to when I moved to this town, and. And uh, thank you all for doing what you're doing. Your podcast uh, does a lot of cool things in terms of thinking about memory and thinking about music and thinking about a band that a whole bunch of us love. So I appreciate the kind words. You can come back anytime. We're making us sound smarter than what we are. Okay, so let's, okay, let's think, okay, okay, I have, I'll throw you some ideas. We're doing the Vic episode, though, because that, I'm calling dibs on Vic's birthday. That That's happening. We'll okay. That's cool. Excellent. All right, man. Well, we're we're gonna play play the single so people can check it out, and then we're gonna play a segment from. Uh, I feel like we need to play like a Panic Memphis show, but we're gonna do the twelve thirty ninety five. Uh, I think maybe the second half of the first set, which is we touch on. We get some John Keane. We get some mm-hmm. Maggot Brain. We get an instrumental. I think you should do it from. I mean, depending on how much from time West you Virginia have, on. Yeah. West, West Virginia, Virginia West. I, I just looked this up on my phone. West Virginia, you got your stop go with John. A of D, wondering maggot brain with John in the chili. Yeah. Sick. That's it. That's, 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 that's the spot. <laughs> nice. All right. Uh, well, thanks so much, Scott. We'll talk to you Thank soon, you. and uh, and we'll uh, we'll be back after this uh, this session of uh, Killer Tunes. Cool. Thanks, y'all. Are we?
a stranger 